Well, hey, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer, host of this podcast, and my mission in life is to help school leaders fight isolation and frustration via a leadership community in order to gain clarity and find solutions to their greatest challenges. If you get value from today's show, you can show some love back by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a rating and review where you're listening right now. I could serve more school leaders by having a better ranking, which is tied 100% to subscriptions, reviews, and shares on social media. In today's show, I talk with Africa of Faney Mills. We explore a number of interesting topics like three skills all leaders need, going deep with equity, and eradicating blind spots. Thanks for spending some time listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Before we jump into the episode, let's take just a moment to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX, who believes that the more students talk and are engaged in class, the more they succeed in school. Learn more at teachfx.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, a program designed to develop your students' executive function and non-cognitive skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Well, hey there, Better Leaders. Excited to have a great conversation today with my guest, Africa Afeni Mills, who is the manager of culturally responsive teaching and learning and an instructional coach with Better Lesson. She works with teachers, coaches, and administrators to transform instructional practices and empower all students to thrive. A former teacher, administrator, and prominent thought leader, she has been featured on podcasts discussing the school-to-prison pipeline and white fragility, and co-presented Ricard Reading Reconsidered and Interrogating the Curriculum at Conferences Across the U.S. Africa holds a master's degree in elementary teaching from Boston College's Lynch School of Education, where she graduated first in her class. Africa believes that all her teachers, <laughs> I'm, I'm, see, I'm screwing around, listeners. This is real. So I'm, I'm going to reset in a second. But <laughs> I was so excited to read that first in her class. I'm giving a thumbs up and I'm tripping over my words. But this is <laughs> back. Uh, Africa <laughs> believes that all teachers can be motivated, engaged, dynamic educators and leaders when provided with supports needed to create student-centered, culturally responsive learning environments that inspire wonder and creativity, and nurture diversity, equity, and inclusion. Africa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Great. And thanks for rolling with me, too, as I, uh, you know, introduced you as well. Oh, yeah. No, I, thank you so much. I appreciate such a <laughs> wonderful opening. It was so, a wonderful um, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, we talked in the pre-chat about skills that leaderships need, you know, in your opinion, to be successful. And I, I'd love to hear, what, what do you think three skills are? Yeah, I think that, I mean, in this, I want to definitely give tribute to um, Paul Gorski of the Equity Literacy Institute, yeah. because um, a lot of this, these three things came a lot from the, I had the privilege of uh, um, participating in a workshop that he led a couple of weeks ago. And um, he talked about the importance of three things in particular. I'm like, oh yeah, that's absolutely right. So he talked about having goodwill, a depth of knowledge, and also what I'll throw in there is curiosity. And then the will to change, right? So I think like kind of thinking about each of those things as educators and those of us who have, you know, dedicated our, you know, our profession to, in our time to 
to serving students and teaching mm. them and creating wonderful learning opportunities, um, I think most of us have goodwill. Most of us want our students to enjoy learning and to be successful and to, you know, to have great futures and things like that. But when it comes to some of the inequitable practices and policies that exist in schools, um, and even thinking about, you know, when it comes to curriculum being inclusive and things like that, we also need to have a depth of knowledge about that history and mm-hmm. the curiosity about that and what students most need and then the will to change those things to make sure we're always serving students the best. So I think those three, those three qualities are really important for, for a leader. Yeah. And you mentioned that you attended that uh, workshop on equity earlier and you got super fired up about it. Yes. You know, and, yes. and you were saying Paul was going just much deeper with this idea of equity too. Can you speak some more to that? Absolutely. So I think this was on day two, but it was, I mean, something that really sticks with me that he, you know, asked those of us who were there participating, he said, you know, when you think about homelessness, what is it that we usually do to address the, you know, the issue of homelessness? And he was like, you know, just yell things out. So folks, folks in the crowd were like, oh yeah, we have, you know, we open soup kitchens or we do, you know, clothing drives or coat drives and things like that. And he was like, true. And then he asked us, do any of those things actually end homelessness? And then we were all like, oh, no, yeah. right? It just, He's going it just, there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, yeah. so he was just like, it just actually, says, so what does it accomplish? It, it creates a situation where those who are experiencing homelessness we're, you know, we're serving them in a way that just tries to make them more comfortable while they are homeless, right. as opposed to making sure they have a home, right? And then he was making the comparison to what happens in schools a lot of times where it's like, you know, he said, and it, you know, not to disparage any of the efforts that we really focus on in schools around like, you know, growth mindset and trauma-informed practices and grit and all those types of things. He said, but those things, absent of really thinking about why the inequities exist in the first place, it's not going to end anything. So he's like, so we really have to have that will to dismantle um, inequitable practices in our schools. And that just really was like, wow. And I didn't really think about it that way before. And when we think about those inequitable practices or the systems and, and go to those those root, right? The foundational issues. If we dealt with those, the conversation then shifts because we'll be dealing with something else. Absolutely. How you get people to a place where they feel comfortable to contribute and have the courage, right? To dig into that. Yeah, I think, I mean, some of the way that I've seen it or like what I experienced at that workshop and in other places too, is that a lot of times if we're not experiencing, you know, some of the inequitable practices personally, then we have these blind spots, right? So we're not, not because we're terrible people, but it just, it doesn't occur to us to think about it. So I mm-hmm. think that some of what happened in that workshop and in other, you know, professional ex- learning experiences I've had is um, kind of taking an opportunity to delve into like case studies about some of the things that have taken place and then starting to think about like, if this were to happen in your school, how would you respond? And then having to put yourself in that position. And so some of the things that he named are things that we do in schools all the time. Like he was like, did, you know, have we ever thought about like when we ask students to come into the schools and to bring, you know, bring in money for different things like picture day or to contribute to the, you know, to the fundraiser, the chocolate fundraiser and things like that, or, you know, to contribute money to go on certain field trips and think about the fact that not every student for for a variety of reasons, and a lot of them is because of, you know, um, social injustice are in a position to be able to contribute to those things. And then we're like, not meaning to, but we end up shaming students for not having resources that mm-hmm. they don't have because, you know, society is inequitable, right? Mm-hmm. And so some of that's what I think, like to answer your question a little bit more, is that, you know, having the opportunity to really just intentionally think about like, 
if this happens, like, and it probably does happen in your school, how should we respond? Not how have we responded? Because in a lot of ways, we don't always respond the best. But what would be an equitable way to respond? So another example that he gave is like thinking about when students are asked to bring school supplies in at the beginning of the year, right? And he may, you know, he talked about even his own upbringing where for his family, it was really difficult for them to bring in like, you know, like there's that big box of crayons, the 64 colors with the sharpener in the back. And he always wanted that. But his family wasn't able to provide that. So he knows what that feels like for students. And so he was like, so what a teacher could do is instead of having some students have very few supplies, making a, like, a supply bin where everyone has access to everything. It's just really just, it's just a, a mindset shift that we need time to consider. Yeah, and for the listeners, you know, I want, I want them to hear this, uh, the how should we question. I think that's powerful because it, it puts you in a proactive mindset and helps you take ownership. Uh, also, you know, moving forward in, in terms of serving kids at, at a higher level and making sure you have equitable practices in place. Uh, you brought up the idea of blind spots, which are fascinating, you know, and leaders don't need to be ashamed. Everybody has them. Absolutely. You have to you have to be open to trying to identify them. And then mm-hmm. do something about them. That's where I see yeah. folks get tripped up is they don't want to acknowledge, wow, I don't, I don't have it all or understand it all, et cetera. So, you know, any tips and tricks or what's worked for you or working with others in terms of uh, identifying and dealing with blind spots? Yeah, I think just, you know, putting ourselves in a situation where we spend some time thinking about that. So I'll give like a personal example for me is that, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and um, grew up in a neighborhood pretty much for the the majority of the time that I was there in a neighborhood that became increasingly like it was multicultural, but then it became a lot less multicultural. The longer that I lived there became more people of color and not white folks living in the community as well. And so for me and like, you know, my family went through different challenges like thinking about like my dad lost his dad when he was really young. Um, my mom too, like, you know, she, different challenges that they went through in their own lives that, you know, for me, when I became a teacher, I'm just like, oh yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. You know, I grew up in Flatbush. I know what it's like to have some challenges. So when I became a teacher, I made the wrong assumption that I was like, yes, I'm already culturally responsive because I'm a black woman who grew up in an urban setting, right? And then I, I started teaching. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> like I was so wrong. <laughs> And I think, I mean, like you talk about the blind spots, it's like, yeah, I had that because there was a certain way that I thought, right, mm-hmm. that I was prepared, that I really wasn't. Just living in the skin doesn't mean that I'm equipped to make sure I'm meeting the needs of all my all my students. And so I think that was that was a hard moment for me. And then even to like even experiencing, I've had the opportunity to, to be at conferences where Chris Emden has been the keynote speaker on a couple of different occasions. So hearing him talking about like, you know, for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too, I'm like, I'm so the rest of y'all too. That was hard to realize for me because I'm like, there are ways that I brought into the classroom with me because for me, like I really enjoyed and was successful in school the way it was set up. And then I realized though, that as I got older and reflecting back on my own education, I'm just like, yeah, I feel that way because I was tracked a certain way as a little kid, right? So I was in these classes where even in elementary school that I was like, you know, we were learning Latin and we were reading Shakespeare. And for me, as like a, a little kid, I thought that's what everybody was doing. And then as I got older and reflected back, I'm like, oh, I had a certain relationship with school because I was given, I had certain privileges in the way that that was set up. And so, you know, like thinking about blind spots is just taking the time to reflect back on what is it that we believe about education? And where are the places where the things that we believe are not lining up with the way we practice, whether in our own classrooms or in our schools? And then what do we do to make sure we put ourselves in a situation to change the way we think about it? So all we have, you know, is our minds and the perspective and that it starts from there, you know, and 
I'm curious, do you have any morning uh, routines and rituals that help you put in the, the right frame of mind, you know, so that you yes. can go out, go out there and do that important work that you're engaged in? Definitely. I mean, aside from like, I have a wonderfully generous husband who makes me breakfast like every morning. So that's, that's always really nice. Love it. I, yes. Yeah, he, I mean, cause people too, they'll, they'll talk about like, oh, we've been married for like 21 years. And it's like, oh, as you get married, like, oh, it gets to be stale. I'm like, it's so not stale. My husband is amazing. And so he takes, takes very good care of me. So that's a really wonderful way to start every day. But then on top of that, like the work that I do as, um, you know, a lot of the work we do is virtual because we coach teachers and administrators around the country. And sometimes just like in the classroom, it can feel kind of isolating because you're, you know, you're, you're working from home a lot of the time. But the thing that I, we, we use is like, even some, even though people like hate on technology sometimes that like that boxer app where we get to like walkie talkie one another, I box my colleagues like all the time just to check in and just to like ask questions even if this is about like how they're doing or what they're thinking about things I think you know I try to start the day just like checking in with colleagues too before I start meeting with the participants and I'm trying to think too like you know just for my spiritual practice like I really start really I focus quite a bit on trying to start my day spiritually whether it be like you know trying to spend some time like you know, just engaging in like Bible study or things like that. It try to get tries to get my mind into a very positive space. So some of those things are really helpful for me. Yeah, that's great. You know, when you were talking about isolation too, and uh, what what some educators may feel, I think that's something that you know the leadership community I run really addresses that in terms of connecting and having community. But we address the blind spots and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it also has me considering, you know, the the biggest challenges educators may face, whether, you know, school leaders or teachers. And in the pre-chat, you mentioned, you know, teachers, they're just, they're expected to do so much, yes. right? They're plates and listeners of the show, school leaders, if you're a principal, you know, vice principal, whatever, we know that you have incredibly full plates too. Absolutely. Uh, but you see some, some gaps you were saying in the professional development for educators. Uh, so yeah, what, what can you say about that? Yeah, I think the thing that's so tricky is like, you know, I think about now for me, the difference between being a school-based coach and being a virtual coach is that I really, so like when I was a school-based coach, I used to feel so guilty trying to tap into teachers' prep times to meet with them because I'm like, I know what it's like, Mm. like to be in the classroom. And that's like the time that you have to just like breathe and, you know, trying to transform transition between one class and the other. And I'm like, I don't want to take that time away because it's so hard to get that time in the first place. But I think, you know, like kind of feeding into what you were asking, when I think back to being in the classroom, it seemed like it was mostly that in the beginning of the school year, as we got closer to the beginning of school, we would maybe have, you know, a professional development session in the beginning of the year that was hard to focus on because people really wanted to get into their classrooms and get it set up, which that's how I felt too, right? And so like trying to have time to like learn and transform how you think about teaching and learning is tricky. And then sometimes I've even seen it too on the other end of if your school is going to be adopting a different set of standards or a new math or science or social studies or reading and writing curriculum, like a lot of that time is spent trying to get acclimated to the thing that you're trying to use, but not enough time to really be thinking about like just pedagogically, like how you having some mm-hmm. time to make some shifts. And then even right. once the school year gets started, most school districts that I've worked with have time built in where they'll have, you know, like early release days where the students leave at half day and they'll have professional development opportunities for the staff. But a lot of times those, the topics that they're going to be exploring are pre-selected and it's not necessarily what the teacher most needs at that moment. Sometimes it is, 
but a lot of times it may not be. And so I think that as far as the gaps are, is that just like we talk about being student-centered and, and having more student voice in our classrooms, I think the same thing is true for teachers to find out, like, as we're planning for professional development for the upcoming year, what would you like to see happen? And hearing from the teachers about what would be helpful, as opposed to just kind of like pre-selecting what the PD will be, and then risk, run the risk of not having teachers get what they need to be their best selves. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to let them uh, lead that discussion. And, you know, I think the most successful experience I had was at Brooks College Prep. Yeah. And there we formed a team. I talk about it in my book, but we called it PD at Brooks. And it was really, you know, PD uh, by the people for the people, right? Yes. We had an application process Mm -hmm. uh, because at, at the end of that application, we sent teachers to conferences. We had the budget to do it, but yes. you know, to feed them in ways that they said, like, I'm hungry. Let me go here. Yes, and, and, absolutely. And, uh, the value they would bring back to the community would be sharing all those big insights and ahas, right. but also leading uh, topical uh, PD that the staff said, here's where we'd like some help. Absolutely. And yeah, that was that was a huge, huge win. And, and it's it's ironic because when, when you have chats with school leaders too, I'll, I ask like, oh man, I wish uh, they'll talk about, I wish that the the teachers would be just a bit more engaging, you know, know their kids and blah, blah, blah. And so I said, and, and before I answer, and they want to know, well, what do you do about it, Danny? And mm-hmm. I'll say, I'll pause. <laughs> talk to me about your staff meetings. Yes. Are they engaging? Yes. Are they connected to the dreams, the passions, the longings that your people, and it's like, whoa, I missed that. Yeah. So, yeah. Wake up call for all of us, right? In terms of giving people what they say they need, helping them start there, start there. And you could push them in other ways, but start there. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to watch any of the America to Me documentary series, but it's just so, I mean, I feel like it really it shows evidence of something that's symptomatic of a lot of schools where there's an example in the series of a teacher who had gone on, on um, she traveled and she had learned, and I'm not, I'm not going to remember exactly what it was that she learned, but it was something that was really, you know, potentially beneficial for the, the rest of the staff. And so okay. she was really excited and she came back and she was, you know, went to the school committee and was asking for the opportunity to share her learnings with the staff and then she just she wasn't afforded the opportunity or there mm. were in the same documentary there were teachers who were really they were excited about starting a racial equity a group of teachers but because the topic felt scary for the leadership they were like well you could do it but not on school property or you could do it but not using school email like so like you were saying it's like you're missing that opportunity that you have people who are passionate about this important thing but then you don't get the support around it yeah. 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 We need to get around them, wrap around them, support them, empower them. You yes. know, that's, that's what it's all about. Definitely. Well, uh, you know, I, I know that if you're willing to discuss blind spots, uh, you'll be courageous enough to talk about leadership mistakes. I'm curious, yes. after, uh, what would you consider your worst leadership mistake and what did you learn from the experience? Yeah. So I can go back to an opportunity that I had. There was a time that I was working in a school district as a literacy coach. And then the district, because of, um, like, you know, for budgetary reasons, decided to end coaching. But then I was offered the opportunity to become an elementary literacy director, which of course was really exciting, right? So I'm just like, oh, well, I'm not going to be a coach anymore, but I get to be an administrator, which is, you know, it's a promotion. So that's, you know, that felt good just on a human level, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, I think I was so, concerned about like trying to maintain you know like 
the impression of me that there were things that were asked of me as a leader that I did not believe were best for teachers and I didn't push back about it. So I'll give an example. So what was set up was that the literacy directors and the math director that we would, um, out of the four elementary schools that were in the district, we would spend one day in each of the schools. So I'm just like, okay, that's good, right? (laughs) So we can be in classrooms and we can be supporting teachers. But then we were also asked to be the ones to facilitate all of the grade level meetings which meant that if the the school being K to five, that's six meetings every time that you go to the school. And so my immediate question was, well, I don't think there's no way for me to get in and observe classrooms and give meaningful feedback that's going to really help teachers if I'm in meetings all day. And then on top of that, I was asked to like create the, you know, the quarterly assessments for the district. And I really like in my gut, I'm like, I don't, I know that this is not the thing that's best because me being in meetings all day is not, it's not the support that teachers have been asking for that they need. But I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I'm new at this position and I want to leave a good impression. I don't want to rock the boat. This is something that was created. So I just tried my best to do the job in the way that it was laid out. But I feel like I wasn't successful. Like, I'm not saying I didn't have successes during the year. I believe that I did. But largely, I feel like I, I, when I think back, I'm not one who really believes in a lot of regrets, but I'm like, if I did have a time machine and I could go back and talk to my former self, right. I think I would have been like, you know, just take the risk and say, you know, like, can we change the format of what happens when I'm in the schools? Because it's, it's not, we all know that when, even when it comes to students, in order for them to make improvements with their, how they're doing in their classes, they need frequent feedback, right? And they need support around making those changes. So I'm like, so we can't then say that we expect it of teachers, but not give that to teachers, right? And so I feel like I spent that year not being, for the most part, as helpful as I had envisioned when I first got the job. And so I wish that I had been courageous enough to say, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this other way. And it's, it's, it's going to be okay and just kind of just see how it goes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what the response would have been, but I'm like, I wish I would have at least tried it. Yeah, I wish I would have tried it because the thing that was happening that year is that the district was transitioning from using like a reading anthology series to readers and writers workshop. And that was like, that's my whole, like, that's how I began things, right? When I was getting my master's degree, I actually worked in a school where Irene Fountas was doing her work around like, you know, around literacy. And I learned a ton about like the effective implementation of readers and writers workshop. And it really, it's a big shift, right? There's a big shift away from like, okay, have your children read this on week one, day three, to saying like, okay, well, where are your readers and what do they need? And here's how to support them and genuinely differentiate instruction. That's a big shift. And there's a lot of needs with that. And those needs, I feel like, were not addressed the way they should have been that year. Well, let's pause here for a message from our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder is an evidence-based RTI tier one universal level solution and focuses on improving executive functioning and non-cognitive skills. You can learn more and improve your student success at OrganizeBinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX, which helps teachers boost their students' engagement. But don't take it from me. Here's what Stephen, a classroom teacher, said about using TeachFX. I was talking more than what would have probably been helpful. It's made me more mindful of that because I have an app that's giving me helpful feedback. Learn more at teachfx.com. All right, and we're back with Africa, Fanny Mills, and we're talking about blind spots, uh, leadership mistakes, powerful workshops, 
and going deep on equity. I uh, really appreciated that that piece there. Uh, and now we're just rounding up the conversation that we're having in Africa. What would you say is one resource that's really impacted your life in the last three months or so? I think for me, I've been I, like I heard a lot of people talking, like mentioning Brene Brown's work for a long time. But I was like, OK, you know, people say stuff to you and like I hear a lot of recommendations. So I didn't really, you know, start really reading her work until probably like the past year. Um, and most recently, she released um, the Dare to Lead book. And that's really been so helpful for me because she spends a lot of time really like exploring what it means to be a courageous leader. Right. And a lot and, mm. and a lot of like the thing that really resonates with me and I think it resonates with a lot of people is that she uses herself as an example all the time. Like she like just like you asked me about some of the things that I like right. mistakes that I've made. She talks about her own mistakes quite a bit. And um, she really just talks about like, you know, like how do we identify the places that, you know, that scare us when it comes to being leaders and to, you know, to being vulnerable and, and making changes. And how do we move into that space so that we have you know, healthy environments, whether it's schools or families or whatever. So reading that book, like I'm actually, like I read it already and now I'm reading it again with a friend and we're meeting weekly to talk about it, like what this actually looks like. So we hold each other accountable for making some of these changes because it's really important, I think, to, you know, to be, to learn how to be vulnerable and to identify what your values are and stay true to those values and to be resilient. Like it's really like concrete supports around that. And so Mm. I would say that book has been really transformative for me. Gotcha. I haven't picked it up yet. We're going to read it in the mastermind uh, in the future. So I have it slotted. Um, But were you saying too, that there's actual practical examples like do this and yes, really good ones too. Like not only that, but then the thing to me, like whenever I, like I I really start to trust someone when the knowledge that they share is not like, Oh, this is proprietary. And so no, you have to be able to purchase (laughs) X. Right. And I get that. Like we all got to live. Right. But the thing that's been really cool is that on her website, there's like a whole hub that she's created where there's like a leadership assessment that you can take for free. There are all these like work, like a workbook that you can print out that's, you know, supported by the book. And then she did mm. like this whole thing on LinkedIn where weekly she was answering questions that people had, you know, about like trying to apply some of what she's, what she was talking about in their own circumstances. It just was really very supportive. And that just, that was really exciting for me. It's just a ton of extra value too. Yes, right? absolutely. We just started, so you know, I lead I lead a leadership community, a mastermind. Have about four groups uh, at the time of this recording. Forty six people from eight different countries wow. around the world. So that's, that's awesome. It's that's insane. But yeah, <laughs> you know, part of my credibility in being able to lead there would be that I invest in my own development by being yes. in a mastermind. So we just started yes. a book called QBQ, the question behind the question. Ooh, like, I like I'm, that. I'm literally like a chapter into it and okay. it's a small book, yeah. but it's already been powerful. And the guy tells this story of a, of a, a kid, a, a waiter in a, a restaurant who runs by uh, his table and he'd been sitting there for a while. And it's, it's obviously not this kid's area to bus, right? Or to serve. Mm-hmm. And he says, excuse me, sir, you know, have you been served or whatever? You know, oh no, I've been waiting, blah, blah, blah. So he gives, he gives his uh, meal order and he wants a Diet Coke. Well, sir, we have Pepsi products, you know, would that be okay? He's like, oh, no thanks. You know, I'll just take a water then. And then, okay. okay. So he runs away, gets the order. And just a few minutes after food appears, Diet Coke appears, right? Now the kid runs by again, the guy has to like grab him like, hey, you know, I thought you guys didn't have Coke or whatever. You know, how'd you get this? And, and he's like, oh, well, the, the supermarket has it. So I went down, he you know, the grocery went and store. got it for him. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, yes. paid with his own money. But wow. the, the craziest part too was that he wasn't the one who went to the store. Mm. 
mm. because he was so busy, engaged, and caring for his customers, right? right? He asked the manager to do it for him. And okay. the manager said yes. Okay. So for, for the listeners, for you, for everybody, you know, thinking about that story, just how do you empower your people, right? To yeah. live out your mission, vision, values. And, and to me, the big challenge is to how do you raise your own level of accountability and ownership? Mm-hmm. You know, because we go to the situations, we often say, ah, that's somebody else's problem. That's not my area to bus, right? right, right. It's not my department. You know, those aren't yes. my kids. I don't, they're not in my class. I don't teach them, right. you know, right. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And how can we get to a place like Brene Brown? This is where I'm connecting it. Yeah. How can I add so much value in what I do? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And it just it blows everybody away. So not only has she written a great book, you know, in Brene, if you're listening, send me a check because I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing some good work for you here. <laughs> but then she has the leadership assessment, you know, the workbook and this kind of stuff. And and yeah, so just for the listeners in your in your leadership role, how can you bring that extra type of value to your community? Right. right? It just blows people's minds every single day because you show up yes. and you give the best. Absolutely. I know that's something that we have been able to enjoy at Better Lesson. We started it during the summer and then we've continued it a bit into the fall. We read together Ijiomolulo, So You Want to Talk About Race. And then we mm. met every week and we talked about, you know, each of those chapters. And the thing I love about that book, you know, we, we considered you know, which book would be the best book for us to use. But I love the way that she, I mean, I, you know, I was saying before, like, I love, you know, stories. I think we learn so much through people's stories, right? And so she tells a lot from our own life. But I feel like she ends almost every chapter with like concrete next steps for folks to think about. And then the same thing too with like the America to Me um, documentary series, the folks who produce it have like a whole, like the whole, the online environment where there's like, there's episode guides for every one of the 10 episodes, you know, connecting it to like these essential questions and expanding on different concepts. And then we use that when we have our weekly meetings. And the fact that Better Lesson has provided the space for us to have those conversations, not only as a coaching team, but across the whole company. Like it doesn't matter if you're on the product team or the sales team, or the growth team, like we all have access to that space. And then we, you know, we talk about things and we talk about like, what does this mean for our work? And it's so important to have that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, Africa, you, you made it to the end here. You knew this question was coming. We talked about it too. So yeah. you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Mm-hmm. Your only limitation is your imagination. So mm-hmm. how would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just like just visualizing the space, right? And so for me, I feel like I would love to have a whole bunch of like open space with like lots of windows and lots of sunlight coming into that space. And I think, you know, that comes from like being in schools where it's like, where you don't have that. And then also seeing other schools and other communities where that's present. It's just, it really just changes things, I think, for students and just making sure there's a variety of like comfortable spaces for students, whether it be like couches, beanbag chairs, rocking chairs, where it's like, we want you to come here and learn and create and grow. And we want you to be comfortable and cozy while you're doing it. Right. And also even too, like, I think this is a piece that I think about as someone who, I I think sometimes I can present as an extrovert or someone who is more given to like social activity than I actually am. Um, But I think it's really important to make sure that there's also quiet spaces for solitude and reflection. I think especially because, especially in the last few years, people have talked so much about like students collaborating. And I think collaboration is wonderful, but also 
individual reflection time is important too. But then when I think about it even more, I'm like, I would love for there to be like a greenhouse or a garden where teachers and students can grow things because I think there's a lot that you can learn in an interdisciplinary way, right? And then also to like uh, a maker space where students can create things too. This is definitely a shout out to my husband. He um, does work around like um, STEAM, STEAM work with, um, with students in an after school program he created. And I think that maker space is really important so that they under students understand it's not just about not, I mean, I feel like it shouldn't be about us just like dumping information on them, but also really being, have, being able to generate ideas and support the development of those ideas. And then the last piece I would say probably is like having a community forum space where you can have like, you know, circles or important conversations as a learning community. Those, I mean, there could be a whole bunch of other stuff, but those are the key things that I would create in a learning space. Africa, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. If people want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way to reach out? Yep. So on my Twitter handle is Afaney Mills. So it's just A, F as in Frank, E, N as in Norman, I, M as in Michael, I, L, L, S as in Sam. So Afaney Mills, all one word. And then um, my email address is Africa with a K. So A-F-R-I-K-A at betterlesson.com. So sometimes people think better lessons with an S, but it's B-E-T-T-E-R-L-E-S-S-O-N. And I would love to hear from any of you listeners. Thanks again for being on the show. All right. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right, Better Leaders, just a few more things before you take off. I created a new resource for you called the three leadership questions I ask every day. You can download the resource by visiting betterleadersbetterschools.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This helps me in a few ways. It gives the show some social proof. It encourages new people to listen to the show and it improves the ranking of the show and therefore helps me serve more school leaders. If you want extra credit and some good vibes, share your biggest takeaway from the show and tag me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Alien Earbud and Anagram for my name, Daniel Bauer. And make sure to use the hashtag BLBS. This Sunday is the weekend resource. Join over 3,000 school leaders that get this resource delivered every week. In the weekend resource, I share content curated specifically for school leaders. You'll get articles, videos, templates, and exercises, coaching tips, inspirational quotes, invitations to free Friday group coaching, which is an exclusive offer made available only to newsletter subscribers in the Better Leaders, Better Schools tribe and links to all the content I created for you this past week. You can subscribe at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash weekend dash resource. And remember, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. Go out there today and be a better leader.